0: new series in our sermons and we are going to be looking at a letter in the New Testament called 2 Timothy. Uh, You may have read it, you may not have. It's a letter written by Paul, like many of the letters, but it's different to most of them because most of the letters are written to a whole church whereas 2 Timothy is written to one individual, a man called Timothy, which is where we get the name of the letter from. And Timothy is one of Paul's people. I don't know if you have people in your life that when you talk to them, when you think about them, in your head you're like, these are my people. And what I mean by that is you can talk to them without having to go through the process of, if I see this, I wonder how they'll hear it, I wonder how it will be translated. There comes a point with some people, you've been through so much together, you've got so much commonality in your relationship. You just get each other. You can talk freely. You're on the same page as one another. i was in a video called uh, The Other Night with Someone who is one of my people. We can talk in that way. And it's refreshing. It's liberating. It's fun to have conversations with people who are your people. And Timothy was very much one of Paul's people. Paul recruited Timothy to come with him on his missionary journey. So they've traveled together uh, for a number of years. They've been through the ups and downs, the hardships, and the successes of ministry together. Now, if you had to characterize the relationship somehow, you'd say it was like a father-son relationship in the faith. Paul was like a spiritual father to Timothy. He was like a mentor to him in the faith. But the circumstances that we're in by the time we get to 2 Timothy is Paul is now at the very end of his life. He's, he's running away in a Roman prison cell waiting to die. And this letter that he writes to his guy Timothy is the last recorded writing of the Apostle Paul. So I want to think about Timothy's situation now. So uh, he's been, for quite a long time, under Paul's wing, he's been apprenticed, he's been mentored. But now, Paul is about to die and exit the stage. This is the moment, isn't it? Obi-Wan has gone, and it's time to take center stage. You need to step up. You need to take responsibility. Timothy, you're going to be the guy now. So with this one last letter, let's equip you for what is coming. I think this is part of growing into maturity. I think many of us know this in our family lives. You know there's a time when uh, we're young and we're living as part of a family where there are people in older generations who who are really carrying the weight of the family and we're we're there and we're participating but they're kind of the standard balance Uh, and then over time things shift and and the people who were younger uh, and growing older and maturing and and starting to step up and take more responsibility in the family. The weight starts to land on different shoulders. It's true in the workplace as well, isn't it? When you start a new job, maybe you enter in quite a junior position. There are people looking over your work. There are people making sure you're on the right land. Until that day that you get the promotion. And all of a sudden, the book stops with you. You're the one now who's got to make it happen. It's true in the spiritual world. As well. Early on in our faith journeys, there are people who are guiding us along the way. But there comes the moment that we need to step up and do the things that God has called us to do. That was Timothy's moment as Paul wrote this letter to him. As I've been thinking about the new year and 2021, I've been praying about what will 2021 hold. Because it's easy sometimes. To just kind of get in a rut of, well, this is what this moment feels like. So the new year must just be a reflection of now. But actually, I don't think it will be. In my spirit, I've got a sense that this is going to be a year of building. It's going to be a year of proactivity. 2020 was a very reactive year. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, it seemed like the conversation was always, the ground has shifted, what do we do now? The ground shifted again. What do we do now? And it shifted so much. And it was always playing catch-up to circumstances. And I think God's going to do something in 2021 where we can get back onto the front foot. There'll be a a world to build and to rebuild and to pioneer and to do new things and to step forward. That's the theme I believe that 2021 will have, somewhat the opposite of this year. And in this letter, Paul is urging Timothy, the time is now Timothy, step up. Timothy was a guy who liked to be quite reactive in his faith. And this is a letter urging him to be proactive. That's why I chose this letter to start the new year. It's full of short, sharp imperatives. Instructions like fight the good fight, endure everything, do not be ashamed of the gospel, fulfill your ministry, fan into flame what God has done in you. These are the messages that Paul wants to impart to Timothy. I'm going to read the first seven verses of it with you. This morning. If you've got a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy. We'll also have verses displayed on the screen if you prefer to follow along there. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but a power and love and self-control. Let's start by just noticing a couple of things from the way Paul introduces this letter. Did you notice the faith with which he's speaking in verse 1. As he introduces himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now think about Paul's circumstance. Rotting away in a prison cell, he could easily introduce himself as Paul, the prisoner for Jesus. Paul, uh, the guy who's about to die, who suffered for the gospel. And yet what's fruit of mind is in introducing itself? An apostle according to the promise of Of the life that's in christ jesus his mind and particularly his identity isn't defined by his circumstance he's not just banging on about the prison cell but he's occupied with the promise that god has made the promise of life i wonder how many of us when we're reflecting on ourselves and our life how many of us start with our circumstance and never get to the promise of God. Yet Paul's whole outlook was defined by what God has said and what God has promised. And that had, that overbore even the circumstances he found himself in. Do you notice as well the affection that he had for Timothy? Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child. He loves Timothy. He's fond of Timothy. He really cares for him. And so when we read a letter like this, we shouldn't read it as a telling off by a distant authority figure, but rather a father figure who deeply cares for Timothy to do well, who deeply desires Timothy to fulfill everything that God has got for him. that's the spirit in which he's written the letter. And then when he gets into the content of the letter, really the first call that he makes on Timothy is, I want you, Timothy, to remember I want you to remember, I recently saw the film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I don't know if any of you uh, have seen the film. It's a good film. I enjoyed it. Uh, The basic premise is there's a lady uh, in a town, called Ebbing, in Missouri, uh, who doesn't get justice. Her uh, daughter has been killed, and time has gone by, uh, and no one's been arrested. No one's been brought to justice for it. Uh, And she's worried... That everyone will forget that it will just be forgotten and fade away. And She doesn't want this to happen, so she hires three humongous billboards on the road into the town, and she has messages displayed. This crime was committed. Hey, Mr. Police Chief, why haven't you brought someone to justice? And these are a constant reminder for everybody coming into the town that this thing has happened. And in a similar manner, in this letter here, it's like Paul wants to erect three billboards in Timothy's mind. Here are some things that should be in your mind. Do not forget these things. Let them remind you of some important truths. And the first one that he points out in verse 5 is I want you to remember your faith. He, He says it like this, I am reminded of your sincere faith. So as Paul is praying for Timothy... He's remembering the faith that he saw in this young man. And now he's writing a letter to remind Timothy of this same faith that he used to have. Now I wonder, when you think about your own journey of faith, your own discipleship journey, if you were to draw a graph of your passion, your intensity, your level of faith, You'd have some moments that were the high points on the graph. I was really going for it with God at this moment in my life. You might have other moments to like, so, say, somehow the passion cooled. Maybe I backslid or it just kind of felt like my faith was on the back burner for a season. And then there was another high moment. You can chart it over the course of your life. And what Paul's doing to Timothy, he says, I remember when you were with me, Timothy. I remember your faith. I remember these real high moments, this intense faith that you have. And he's inviting Timothy to remember what his own faith was like. I don't know if this is true for you. It's certainly been true for me at moments. Sometimes kind of without realizing it, I was on one of those high moments. And then I just looked at them. Something has somehow just stagnated a bit. I've hit a bit of I was there and I'm now here. It it didn't happen on purpose, but I just need to wonder why that has happened. And looking back to what our faith was like can be really helpful. I remember about a year after I became a Christian, I was part of a football team, and after football training there was an afternoon prayer meeting that I was going to. And I was just talking with one of the guys on the team, he wasn't a Christian guy. We never talked about Christianity or faith. He asked no questions. He'd shown no interest. But he said to me, um, hey, what are you doing after training? Uh, and I said to him, I'm about to go to a prayer meeting. It'll be great. You should come with me. <laughs> and um, he didn't come with me. Um, but also, it, there was no issue with me inviting him. He was just like, oh, no, it's not for me. Um, but okay, thanks for inviting me. Uh, But I look back, and I think, would I do the same thing now? Would I just invite someone who I've never talked to about faith to a prayer meeting just because it happened to come up in conversation? Maybe I would not And then I ask, well, why not? What was different about my faith then that it seemed like such a natural thing to do that now I start second-guessing it, and now I back away from that? It's a challenging thing to think about. What did we used to do in the faith that maybe we don't do? anymore. Jesus says this to one of the churches in Revelation But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy to. Remember what your faith was like and if it's not like that anymore repent and do the stuff you did at first. I think at the start of a new year this is a great Reflective exercise to so look back on our faith from years past. I don't know if any of you are journalists, but if you are looking back on your journals from years that you knew your faith was vibrant, it can be a great thing to do. Or just reminisce, recollect, think about what, what did I do? And um, moreover, is there a fire that's died down? And if so, what would it take to, to rekindle that fire? That was the third billboard that Paul wanted to put up in Timothy's mind. Remember your faith. The second one uh, that I want to draw attention to is in verse 4. Remember your tears. He says, as I remembered your tears, I longed to see you that I may be filled with joy. He's remembering the tears that Timothy had shed. Now, I don't know the circumstances of the tears that he's referring to. Perhaps it was tears that Timothy shed when they parted ways after decades of working together, and now they're going to different places. Maybe that was a a tearful parting. Maybe it was tears uh, when Timothy found that Paul was going to prison in Rome. Maybe it was tears that he shed during the hard times in ministry, when they were persecuted, when they were opposed, when they were uh, thrown out of town, when they suffered physically. Or when people rejected their message, and uh, when people didn't give them the benefit of the doubt, but charged them falsely with things that they weren't doing. Maybe there were tears from those times. Or maybe it was tears to do with the circumstances of life. We know from uh, other writings that Timothy suffered with ill health. His health wasn't the best. Maybe it was tears that he shed around that. But either way, Paul wants Timothy to remember those tears. Now, if it was me, I wouldn't want to remember tears. When I think about the times that I've been upset, and people try to bring them up, I want to change the subject. It's an uncomfortable thing to dwell on those times, that it's not been great, that I've not been happy. And yet Paul sees these tears as an important thing to remember. And I think the reason why Paul wants to remind Timothy of the tears is because our tears have a sanctifying power. Our tears have a sanctifying power. We're forged in the fire. It's through the hard times. It's through the sufferings. It's through those moments that we're at the lowest end that God so often works and forges us and develops us and grows us. As you think back on your own life, isn't that true? That God's used those moments of tears to do something in you. Remember years ago, uh, there was a, uh, a time where just in various areas of my life, stuff had kind of gone wrong all at the same time. And I was confused, I was a bit stressed. I was just meeting up with a friend one afternoon and uh, I didn't think I was going to be talking to my friend about uh, anything in much depth. I thought it was just a catch-up. But ten minutes in, I was just sobbing with this guy, and just like unloading everything that had been happening, and and he was with me kind of all afternoon, kind of really uh, there for me uh, in the subsequent days and weeks as well. But I remember coming out of that time when I just broke down. There's something in me changed, and the way that I was able to relate to other people was different. I could um, connect with brokenness in a different way. I could relate to people with a gentleness. That I hadn't previously been able to do. Those tears were something that God used to bring about a positive change in me. Now let's be honest, 2020 has been a year of tears for many people, hasn't it? Tears to do with the circumstances we've all shared, maybe tears to do with individual things as well that aren't shared with each other, but it's been a year of tears. And I think what Paul would have us do, based on his writing here, is to remember those tears. Don't just kind of push them to one side and crack on. But remember the tears that you have shed, and in particular, remember the lessons that God has taught you through those tears. John Piper puts it this way. Don't waste your suffering. I think that's a great little phrase. Don't waste your suffering. God's done something in you. And let that ripple out into the rest of your life. So that's two billboards. Remember your faith. Remember your peers. The third billboard that Paul wants to erase is remember those who were influential in the journey so far. In Timothy's case, it reminds him that the faith had first belonged to his nan, who was the lead for Lois, and then to his mum, who was Eunice, and now has been passed down to Timothy. Now, some of you will be in Timothy's situation. You've grown up in a Christian home. The faith has been passed down. And it's important that Paul says this. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. If you grew up in a home where faith was passed on, I would ask you this question. Does this faith dwell in you as well? You can't just live on the faith of your parents. Well, my parents pray, my parents go to church, oh, I'm sure I'm alright. No, the faith needs to be your own faith, Do you have this faith too. Whether or not you grew up in a Christian home, I will bet there are people who, in your journey with Jesus, have been influential. There'll be people who have passed on what they knew to you. And Paul's message is this: remember. Remember what you learned from them. Remember their example. Remember their teaching. Remember their faith. We've got these three billboards. I think it's a great thing to do, maybe in your quiet times this week. To reflect on these th- three things. What was my faith at different points in my life? What have I been through? What have I suffered? What tears have I shed? And what has God done through that? And who are the people who have influenced me on the journey? What have they taught me? And how can I make sure that lessons have stuck with them? I would suggest praying into those things and see what God says to you and see what God does. But you know, Paul's not just. Asking Timothy to look back for the sake of reminiscing. It's not like he's at the end of his life and thinking, okay, this is all done. Uh, I'll write a book about all the experiences and then just kind of pass on. No, he he cares for what happens next. And he really wants to see Timothy step forward and play the role that he's called to. So he's asking Timothy to look back so that he can step forward. Uh, And this brings us to verse 6. Paul's got something he wants Timothy to do in the here and now. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Do you see the link? For this reason, because of all that I've said, because of all that I've reminded you of, there's something to do now. Fan into flame the gift of God. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Now, some of you may be very familiar with spiritual gifts. Some of you may not be. By spiritual gifts, we're talking about abilities and ministries that are given to us by God for the purpose of serving the church and reaching the lost. And you know, spiritual gifts are given to each one of us. So when I say spiritual gift, don't think, oh, well, I know this kind of superstar Christian who's really good at something. That person must have a spiritual gift. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. It's how God's equipped you, it's how he's equipped me, it's how he's equipped each one of us to play our part in what he wants to do in his church. Spiritual gifts are given to each of us and they're also given to all of us. And what I mean by that is the gifts given by God to me are not just for the benefit of me, they're for the benefit of all. The gifts given to you are for the benefit of all. God has equipped his church by giving each of us gifts for the benefit of all. Now he's talking particularly about Timothy's gift that he had. And he's referred to the same gift also in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14. And his message there is very simple. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hand on you. He's very concerned that Timothy doesn't neglect his gift, that he doesn't ignore it and leave it on the back burner. He wants Timothy to use the gift That he's been given and timothy's gift we don't know uh, 100 sure it seems most likely that his gift was the gift of the evangelist and we know that because of what paul says elsewhere in the letter when he says fulfill your ministry do the work of an evangelist it's like he's saying to timothy the thing you've been called to timothy is to be an evangelist and if we're talking about proactivity and stepping forward and pioneering this year front and centre has to be evangelism, sharing the faith with others. That's what God's put the church here to do, to be his witnesses in the world. And so that's a big focus of our conversations in the leadership team of the church. We've been talking about evangelism a lot recently. And after we've done this two Timothy series, we're going to dig into evangelism in detail because it's so important for us. I think many of us know that it matters. And I think many of us have this sense, I really wish that I could talk to my friends about the gospel more than I do. I think we also have this sense of, it's hard. Well, I, mean, I want to have the conversation, but how do I get to that conversation in a way that's not weird, that's not awkward? And so we're going to look at what are some of the things that we can do in order to get those conversations happening more frequently. So that's just a spoiler. That's evangelism. That's coming in a couple of months, but be thinking about it now. My question for you today, though, is this. What is your spiritual gift? What is the gift that God has given you? Now, some of you, you might straight away have the answer come to mind. You might know, this is my gift. In which case, my message for you would be this. Fan it into play. Do not neglect your gift, but use the gift. Some of you, though, when I ask you the question, what is your gift? Your answer might be, oh, I'm not sure what my gift is. In which case, what I would encourage you to do is spend some time prayerfully reflecting and try to work out what the gift that God has given you is. Now, some kind of pointers in the right direction. It's worth reflecting on, hey, what have I always been good at? What are the talents that God has given me that I've kind of carried through all of my life? Another question to reflect on would be, What's God laid on my heart? What are the passions that God has excited me about? And another one is this. What are your Holy Spirit superpowers? And what I mean by that is, are there things that when you do them, you kind of notice that God has just done way more than you expected when you're stepping up into those things. If you find the intersection of all of that, there's a good chance you have hit upon your spiritual gift. If you still don't know, why not talk to your community group about it? Or why not ask other Christian friends, what do you think my gift might be? Well, Timothy's gift, it was imparted to him by laying on of hands. Both of the verses that we looked at say that there's a gathering of elders and Paul was there as well. They prayed and they laid hands on Timothy. Which I think the context of that would probably be a ministry commissioning. They were commissioning Timothy into a ministry. And sometimes that's how gifts... Not always, not by any means the only way to get to given, but sometimes it happens like that. I remember when I was appointed to eldership here at CCN, there was a a similar time where people gathered around, Emma and I, praying for us, laying hands on us, prophesying over us, and some of the words spoken on that day have been really kind of shaping in what our life has looked like. Well, similar for Timothy, he received this prophecy and this gift at this commissioning. If something like this has happened to you, let me urge you take it seriously. Step into it. Do the things that God has called you to do. And Paul's instruction is this. Fan it into flame. Don't just leave your gift on the back burner. But use it. Develop it. Grow the gift. I'll give you three tips how to do it. Number one, get some faith for it. Get some faith for your gift. God has given it you for a reason. Don't just kind of have in your head, Well, I can tick the box intellectually that I know what my gift is. Well, great. That's a good start. But get some faith. God's given it to you for a reason. There's things he wants you to do through it. Get some faith that he wants to change the world through the gift that he's given you. The second thing is this. Find some opportunities to use it. Find some opportunities to use it. Don't just hold your gift as a wealth. If one day somebody asks me to do this, I know that I will be capable of it. If God's given you a gift, find a chance to use it. Ask for opportunities. Knock some doors down. Kind of get a bit rude with people—not in a bad way, but I want to do this. God's laid it on my heart. It's always better to have people kind of busting at the seams to do stuff than than a reluctance. And if there aren't opportunities, make some opportunities. Start something new. Pay near some things. God's given you your gift for a reason. Thirdly. Find ways to make it more effective. Other people you know who have a similar gift to you who've been doing it for a lot longer. Why do not get alongside them? Why not grow from what they've learned over years of experience? Maybe you have books to read, people to talk to, talks to listen to, whatever it may be, find ways to get even better at a thing that God has gifted you in. You know, Timothy's problem, and perhaps the problem for some of us, is he was shrinking back. He was pulling away from the thing that God had called him to do. And Paul was pretty urgent. I don't want you to shrink back to the thing. I want you to step forward, to step into all that God has called you to do. And the reason is given in verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What he's saying is you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you So live like it. So live like the Holy Spirit is actually living in you. Be bold, be courageous, be on the front foot. Do the things that the Spirit empowers you to do. Let's just talk for a minute about this idea of Christians having the Holy Spirit living in us. because Sometimes we get a bit confused on this. First thing to say is this. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It says in Romans 8, verse 9, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. No one can be born again without the Spirit. We're regenerated. We can't give our life to Jesus, but for the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit. And yet the Bible also talks about this idea of being filled with the Spirit. This is an empowerment. This is about mission. This is about boldness. This is about stepping forward. And this is something, being filled with the Spirit, that can happen at any point in the Christian life. It's not just something that happens the day you first become a Christian. You read the Book of Acts; you see they're praying and they get filled with the Spirit. And this happens multiple times. This isn't a one-time deal. I mean, count in the Bible how many times Peter gets filled with the Spirit. There's quite a few. People. I remember this has happened to me. I was once a soul survivor, a summer camper. Uh, I kind of responded in some ministry time, and people prayed for me. And I sensed the Holy Spirit filling me. And I knew that it was, it was different. The Spirit was with me in a different way. It's happened to me other times since as well. Maybe some of you can pinpoint moments that this has happened to so you. We're told in uh, Ephesians to go on being filled with the Spirit. We should look to being filled with the Spirit all of the time. And essentially what Paul's saying to Timothy is this, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet I can sense a fear creeping into you. Yeah, I can see you're not quite stepping forward to all that the Spirit wants to do through you. You know, by nature, Timothy was a timid man, and yet in the Spirit, he was made bold. Now his timidity is starting to reassert itself. You know, this isn't about being an extrovert or an introvert. That's a totally different thing. There are different ways to show courage that meet the personality of each of us. This is just, do you have the guts to be proactive in your faith and your ministry, whatever that may be, and do the things that God is calling you to do? And it's the fullness of the Spirit that drives us to do that. And in describing what the Spirit is like, Paul sets it against the idea of fear. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power. Have you ever thought about that? The Holy Spirit in you is a spirit of power. I think too often when we're thinking about taking a step of faith, our question is, what if it doesn't work? You know, what if I offer to pray for this person to be healed and they don't get healed? What if they invite this person to come to Alpha and they don't want to come? Well, what if? But here's a better question. What if it does work? What if they do get healed? What if they do come? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power and we should believe that he's powerful and effective. We should believe the Holy Spirit actually does things. Otherwise... Why be filled with the Spirit in the first place? The Holy Spirit gives us power to do the things that we have been called to do. He also says we've been given a spirit of love, so a spirit of power and of love. I think sometimes we can convince ourselves that not doing anything is the most loving thing. Oh, I won't share the good news about Jesus. Oh, I won't pray for someone. Oh, I won't serve those in need. I'll just be kind of imposing. You know, the most loving thing is just to let things be. Not true. The most loving thing is to do the things God has called us to do. And the Holy Spirit empowers that love to lay ourselves on the line for the cause of the gospel. Spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And this self-control is so important. To be able to do the things that God is calling us to do, no matter what. That takes self-control. If we don't have self-control, then what we do will be determined by something else. Maybe it's determined by certain uh, desires or habits that we've got and we just give in to things. And we just give in to lethargy or laziness or some other indulgence that we want to do. Or maybe our our actions are swayed by our circumstances. We let ourselves be knocked off course by what's going on around us. But we chart the course of obedience, we chart the course of stepping out into everything God has got for us by the spirit of self-control. The other day I was coming to prepare this. I'd been uh, on leave over Christmas for a while, uh, and the morning that I came to write this talk, uh, I'd spent most of the morning so far on the sofa. And I knew that there was something that I needed to do. And it was kind of that sense of, right, I need to switch now. I need to get myself up off this sofa and I need to go to a desk and sit down and get to work. And for a while, I've been in holiday mode, which is fine. It's fine to be in holiday mode when you're on annual leave and it's the Christmas break. There's no problem with that. But there was a moment that I I consciously knew in my mind now I need to switch out of holiday mode and get to the task at hand. And in my spirit, I have this sense that maybe for me, maybe for many of us, this year has been like holiday. Now obviously the circumstances aren't what we'd have chosen for a holiday. But when it comes to the things of God, it's it's like we've been passive. It's like we've been, we'll just let things play out for a while. We'll we'll, we'll kind of leave things on the back burner. It's just a sense, it's time to get out of holiday mode. It's time to step forward into the things of God. And I knew Year's a great moment to reflect and do it, but I believe that's what God is saying us today. It's time to step forward. It's time to prepare our hearts to be in the game for all of God's doing all that God is going to do in us, all that God is going to do